Blog Talk Radio. We are the UR Tennis Network. Our mission is to be the voice of tennis. We enlist a team of passionate enthusiasts to promote our sport. We strive to bring interesting perspectives on the many spins of tennis. Our goal is to provide the learners of our sport with current news and information from many angles. We seek active participation from communities interested in tennis, but tennis is not interested in them. We are expanding our outreach. Tennis is a true lifetime sport that needs to be talked about, and the UR Tennis Network pledges to pursue this idea relentlessly. Good afternoon, tennis fans. Welcome to the Yellow Ball Network, where you'll find all your tennis news. This is your host, Coach Denise, exploring tennis blessings and its effects on life's journey with our mentors. This tennis is a wonderful sport, which can be the vehicle that takes you through life's journey, and our mentors can provide that roadmap for your journey. Each week, I will be interviewing those mentors, coaches who have paved the pathway for many tennis players and coaches like myself. They have authored books and papers on tennis, and they continue to give back today. These mentors include Alan Fox, Chuck Reese, John Murray, Scott Williams, and on the fifth Thursday of each those months where there is no where there is a fifth Thursday, we will bring on special guests. I would like to thank the Yellow Ball Network CEO JP Weber for hosting our tennis network. And if you're not following We Coach Tennis on Facebook, you are missing out on useful information. I would also like to uh, express my dissatisfaction uh, with J.P. Weber. Uh, recently, I've given him uh, a couple of voice uh, clips to go on. My daughter says I talk too much at the introduction. I'm not good at reading and I'm better just with discussing things, and um, I agree with her 100%, but uh, he hasn't put them up on the network yet, and those of you that know me know that I'm late getting into the 21st century, so computers and I are a struggle. But um, hopefully he will have them up sooner, and you won't have to listen to me so long. Naturally, the nice thing about Blog Talk Radio is that if you can't listen live, and I know many of you don't, but you can listen at the time you choose. Uh, of course, on Wednesday, Chuck Reese, American Tennis, uh, is heard, and uh, truthfully, I usually listen to that uh, either Thursday morning about 6 o'clock or uh, Wednesday evening around midnight. So that's the nice thing about Block Talk uh, Radio. You can listen anytime you choose. Of course, on our Thursday broadcast, uh, because I do believe Dr. King when he said our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter, each Thursday I will add my personal views on North American tennis. And naturally you will hear me my biased views that the tennis journey should be going through our colleges and high schools. 
And, of course, the almighty willing, you will continue to uh, read my articles in Florida Tennis Magazine, now in the 25th uh, year. Uh, matter of fact, I uh, talked with the editor uh, today. I actually submitted one of my uh, two articles for the June-July issue, and <laughs> it, br it brings me to mind uh, today with our guest, Dr. John Murray. Uh, my article was about the architects of uh, tennis coaching and were how I came up with the certification uh, program for the FHSTCA uh, tennis team coaching certifications, and he uh, warned me that uh, although I liked the article, that I was going to offend some people because I left some people out. Of course, uh, today I'm a little bit worried. I hope uh, Dr. Uh, John Murray's not offended because I included him into with those architects and. Uh, you know, most of us think about these are old, old people. And, of course, uh, John Murray, although he's been a supporter of us and a leader in his industry, uh, by no means is not old like me. So uh, hopefully uh, John will not be uh, offended. Uh, but he is an important part of what I think is a message that we've been getting across. And, of course, all of the people that we have in the reading, I think we have an obligation to keep learning, and that's what the article was about. Uh, and uh, that's what the certification program is about. I think everybody has a right to know if their high school tennis coach is certified or not. And, uh, and books like uh, John Murray's Smart Tennis and How to Play and Win the Mental Game is an important part of uh, what we're doing. So I think if you look closely at the uh, program, how do you become certified? Uh, how do you become a senior uh, certified tennis team coach, a master coach? There's only a few of us, but uh, hopefully that list grows uh, pretty soon. Uh, I think... Uh, the point I was trying to make in the article is that there was no need to reinvent the wheel. Uh, what we had out there just wasn't being used enough. I read uh, books all the time, and I read articles and new books that are sent to me. Uh, some of the people you've heard on uh, our broadcast, some of the people you haven't. Uh, but... Uh, I think when you go back to, you know, a lot of this new, new stuff, if you look at it carefully and examine the content, well, very, very good. I think there's something, I, I haven't read anything yet that I haven't found something useful from, but usually uh, the information I think you'll find goes back to the uh, who I consider are the architects of our uh, tennis coaching industry. But enough said about that. I see our uh, guest on uh, today. Uh, let me see if I um, have him in. Doctor, are you there? I'm here, John. How are you doing? I'm fine. I'm blessed. Thank you very much. I, um, I think that um, I was just talking about a certification program, 
and I think we've made a lot of headways. Uh, but yet, uh, I think of the headlines this week, and uh, I, I, I can't help but wonder, uh, you know, well, Hernandez, and I appreciate you at the last minute saying, can we change our uh, uh Topic for this week's uh, discussion, and uh, you you agreeing uh, to do it because I think we're at a, a critical point in society. And truthfully, uh, hopefully, I'm not just getting too old, but I do question some of the things I do. I know I had complaints uh, saying that I was um, not a no cut po- coach because I ran. Uh, Player parents uh, uh, meetings uh, months before the season started, and uh, uh, the uh, demands I made on what the players were, and looking at what I expected and who they were, I was really cutting people. And of course, my contention was they were cutting us; uh, they were cutting themselves. So I do question myself and. Uh, I think your work in sports psychology, and not just as a doctor, but I appreciate what you've done uh, in trying to get the word out on uh, how important this is. But it's obvious that it's not a tennis or a football or a basketball. Uh, it goes way beyond that. And uh, I'd like to have your comments on it. I have a bunch of questions I'd like to ask you. Uh, sure. Well, yeah, I mean, I think today what we're we're trying to do is simply open the door to the, the possibility that sports psychology and mental coaching and all this good stuff that we talk about uh, is not the end of the work. Sometimes the work involves more serious problems, more, you know, more serious clinical problems. And the, uh, the awareness of that by the coach uh, is vital as well as by myself. Now, I'm not going to say that most of my work is dealing with severe depression or anxiety or murder or suicide, but I think it's, it, it, it deserves a show that we talk about the fact that there are some people that are in distress and we need to be aware of that and we need to be able to treat that and we need to be able to know what to do and kind of just have some kind of a navigation process in place when, when we possibly recognize that. So that's what I think we're doing today is going a little bit beyond the, the, the typical session of mental coaching and thinking about the person and maybe how the person can benefit from things when things go really wrong. And I, and I think that's important. I know sometimes I question myself, is it selfish on my part? Was it to have the player parent meetings three months uh, uh, prior to that? And I, so I could sit there and try to check things and discover things about it to make my job easier and uh, to sit there and try to build a, a team rather than a bunch of individuals. But I look today, and I'm thinking maybe it's still is selfish, but if I was a team owner and I see the draft coming up, uh, yeah. 
Is there people, and do you, I know you do a lot of work and you've done a lot of work in football before. Are there people like yourself that are looking at individuals and not just uh, at their physical capabilities, but how are they going to be as part of a team? Is that part of the equation when we uh, examine for the draft? Uh, yeah, I think it's done. It's not done probably to the level that it could be done. And so I've I've talked about this. You have, you know, people involved in looking at character and off-field or off-court issues and finding out who the person is. And you, they don't want to draft somebody who's going to cause the franchise a headache or a nightmare or, you know, it's too much money involved. But it's really ironic that they might, at a less than professional level, uh, certainly um, – I don't think it's done systematically in a, in a, in a way that could, it could be done. I think that when I, I've worked a couple of times with some NFL franchises, for example, when they've, you know, in the last 10 years where they've asked me for my input about the process and showed me what they're doing. And it was, I wasn't satisfied. I wasn't pleased that it was done in a very systematic or comprehensive manner. So to think that it's happening in other sports is, is a joke. If it's not happening at the highest level where they have money where they have true ability to do that. So I, I think they look at it, but they don't look at it in a completely professional way. And I think there's nothing wrong with what you did with those meetings to get to know the player, to get to know the parents. I think that's, that's really valuable. I don't know why you're having some guilt about that. That's really a good thing that you're doing there. Well, I think, uh, you know, the question always come up is, am I doing this selfishly for my own self-good so I have a good team or am I looking out for the individual? Because I, I just wonder how healthy overall are the, is the athlete's uh, mentality, uh, you know, does this <clears throat> does make them more prone uh, than the average person uh, to uh, mental health, health issues or well, that's not? A, yeah, that's a great question. When I first started, with my research, you know, years ago on my doctoral dissertation, I looked at that question. I tried to, I had a couple of different questionnaires that looked at general health and well-being and you know wellness and so forth. And you know, over the years, I think I've concluded that you know, even though there is a lot more stress in sports, there's a lot more demand, uh, there's a lot more potential for uh, problems, uh, anger issues. Uh, there's also, I think. The, the process of becoming an athlete at any level, I think, first of all, requires a relatively healthy individual. I mean, you have to have some level of integrity and discipline to get to that stage. So I think that weeds out a lot of people right there. And then secondly, to go further and to get to the highest levels, I think you're talking about a pretty healthy person. So, no, I don't think that the, the athlete is less, um, less stable. I think in many ways, uh, if you, you know, as a general statement, I think the athlete is more healthy mentally and psychologically than the general population. So that's, that being said, I think at the same time there is that higher demand element and that could cause, you know, either poor performance or could lead to maybe some serious problems when they're not doing as well. And, you know, the team involved. And so you have the high profile involved in, in, in professional sports. So there's, so I think, yeah, we're healthier overall as athletes, but we're also someone that needs to be looked at very closely. So I'm I'm assuming what you're saying then is we probably uh, could, and maybe I'm just trying to feel better about myself. I hope not, but we can uh, uh, we can predict some of their behaviors uh, by knowing the athlete's personality better. Uh, and of course, the challenging well, thing is 
if you're not in your position and you're in my position, how dare do you do that? Well, I, first of all, what you were doing to have a, a, a better team, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, success needs to be the goal in sports. I, I would be bored silly if there wasn't a winner and a person that did not win. So I think that what you're doing to promote success and you know, ha- having a successful coaching tenure uh, is completely consistent with promoting good values for kids that are trying to get better. But interesting that you asked that question about personality. Uh, a lot of people have the mistaken assumption that if you know a person's particular personality type, for example, that you might be able to better predict their behavior. And from what I've been able to learn over the years, nothing can be further from the truth. You can have a complete extrovert versus an introvert and have either one of them have tremendous success or any number of other types of personality can, can lead to different types of behavior. You're not going to be able to predict it based on types. They tried a lot of that in the 1940s and 50s. There was a lot of research, a lot of effort at a very high level at major universities went into that attempt to try to predict behavior, try to predict good behavior, bad behavior, criminal behavior. And un- unfortunately, they, they, they simply could not do that. So you, you really get come back to the behavior. So what you're looking for is past behavior, and you're looking for – because that predicts future behavior more than anything else, not, not the type of person that you might characterize them at. It's not – that that's so, as important as it is the the actual behavior and how they may impact your team. Uh, interesting. Uh, I, I, I often um, wondered uh, about that. that I think you, you look at people and you think of them as being very uh, aggressive and you say, oh, this person might be uh, a good servant volleyer and they get on the court yeah. and they – Lay back is just the opposite of what yes it's you know what you think their personality is about you know, when they're getting this competition if they're two personalities then don't always uh, they're not always the same then you can you can have a person that's you know you know go back to thinking about Borg McEnroe you know fire and ice completely opposite <laughs> styles but 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 extremely successful in their own right. And another thing you want to think about is expressed behavior versus internalized behavior. So you could have a guy that looks like Joe Cool out there on the court, and yet inside he's a fuming mess. He's, he's angry and frustrated and irritated, but just doesn't show it. And on the other hand, you can have somebody who's loud and boisterous and, and maybe seemingly aggressive, but not very efficient. You know, so there's lots of ways to look at it, but you've got to be careful about making quick snap judgments based on either personality type or or behavior off the court. Yeah, yeah I guess that makes sense when you think about it. Yeah. What percentage That's why the assessment your... is so important. Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I, I was just saying that's why the assessment process is so critically important. So when I'm working with somebody, I take a lot of time to do a really solid evaluation to try to find out as much as possible about that. And that's what I think going back to the original thought could be done at the much more professional level in the major leagues of baseball or football or on the ATP WTA tours is you could have a process involved in getting these players a very solid, very solid sports psychology assessment as part of their efforts to become the best player possible and the healthiest person possible. So that was just just the comment about evaluation is really important, but I, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. 
No, I, I, I think that's so important because sometimes I think my wife says I'm a, a cheapskate and a reminder I come from an Italian uh, ancestry and I'm really very frugal. But it would seem to me, having the money of the ATP and the baseball and basketball and, and pro uh, teams, that we, that I, I'm, and again, it could be selfishly, I think I, I do care about the athlete and the individual and learning about them. But uh, it seems as though that should be an investment uh, that yeah. should be on top of the list. To- I've had some success. I was working with a Division One basketball team for a couple of years, and uh, the coach let me do preseason evaluations on every player. It was really uh, helpful in identifying, in particular, one player was suicidal. And when we did the evaluation, of course, they gave the consent to let the coaches see the evaluation. That's private material, but they, they consented to that. And we were able to identify someone that might have killed himself and Instead, the coach was able to gently, you know, help that person leave the team and go back home and, and do something else with his life because he would have possibly been a, a, a suicide. So, I mean, there are very serious problems that can, can come out from these events. Not, not all the time, but, I mean, you want to be aware of who you have and what, what risks they present, not at that highest level necessarily like that, not at the Aaron Hernandez level or the – the problem that happened in Kansas City a couple of years back, if you remember that, I had to go on, uh, I believe it was NFL Network Radio and ESPN to talk about that when that happened. They often, they love these crazy stories when, oh, let's get a sports psychologist and talk about it. Where I like to talk about performance enhancement usually, but there are these issues that we need to be aware of, and I think the evaluation can help sniff that out. What, what should you do if you suspect a player is severely depressed and possible could be suicidal? Uh, if you're a coach, it's that's a great question. I think talking is something that sometimes people think they should not do. They should not ask the question about suicide, and that that's totally wrong. Uh, somebody who is possibly going to hurt themselves, you're not going to increase the risk by asking them questions. In fact, you might decrease the risk. So you want to be really, I mean, if we had courses, every, any psychologist out there that's listening to this show will, will relate to this. You know, we've had tons of hours trained as, as psychologists how to assess suicide risk. Okay, some people even specialize in that. But um, even the best can't always or rarely can, can actually predict when it might happen but it's still important to be able to ask the right questions because you could very well uh, stave off a suicide. So, so being not afraid, John, if you're a coach out there and you suspect somebody's struggling with something severe, you know, have a coffee with that player and sit down and find out what they're thinking and feeling and find out if they've had past maybe problems like this. And, you know, and then also the one, you want to get some professional help at some point if you suspect there's something going on there, but don't be afraid to ask the question about, you know, what, what would you do? And do you have a weapon? And would, you know, have you ever done that before and why would you do it? And what would stop you from doing that? And, and uh, how soon would you do that? It seems like we don't ask the detailed questions often enough. Yeah. I, I guess sometimes we're just scared to do it. And, uh, um, 
that's that's not the uh, right thing, obviously. But uh, I'm thinking, you know, go ahead. Somebody might, you know, if you ask the question, they might say, oh, come on, there's no way I'm going to do that. Then you're okay. So it's okay to sound silly is my point. It's okay to sound silly and ask, ask the question. You know, one of the uh, fantastic things about doing uh, this broadcast is I get to talk to you uh, every month, so <laughs> selfishly, I, I feel the, the, the pleasure. Uh, the way I'm mine, John. because I'm not paying you for your services, but I'm wondering, what person, you know, if I would uh, go into somebody, I'd want to go to a sports psychologist, I think, but what percentage of your work uh, is with tennis players I spent resolving general mental, you know, clinical issues versus yeah. providing high-performance uh, psychological strategies for success? Yeah, the great question. When I was coaching tennis uh, and I had the the insight that this was a very um, early part of this, this field. I mean, the, the field had not been developed. There was one guy writing mind game column in, in tennis magazine, <laughs> uh, the, the great Jim Lear. You probably heard of Jim Lear. Uh, he, uh, and I, I aspired to do that and did that myself later. I actually wrote about 20, 25, 30 articles for tennis magazine over the years. So um, there just wasn't enough out there. And so, a, I saw a great need for that, and but my passion was initially not to become a general psychologist. I mean, I'd, I'd already had a bachelor's degree in psychology, but my my passion was to help enhance performance and to drive people to greater success. So I would say that that's um, something that probably makes up the majority of my work, and people get to me mostly from lack of performance. The typical client would have a problem, say, doing the same thing in a match as they do in practice. They, they, they don't bring it out in match play, and uh, whether it's pressure, anxiety, whether it's uh, emotional control issues, whatever it might be. But when you get in there and you get under the hood and you do the evaluation and you talk to get to know them, Inevitably, you know, even though these people are healthier than the general population, inevitably you're going to find something because people are so complex. It might be as simple as a relationship with a person's parent or coach. It might be a traumatic experience they had as a child. It might be uh, a social anxiety. Whatever, you're always going to find something. If you've ever seen the psychological disorder manual, it's, it's thicker than Bible. I mean, it's a huge book with lots of, you know, lots of things in there. So even though most people are healthier, most of them, most of the work we do, I'd say probably, I guess I'd say about 85% is, is performance enhancement in terms of my work, but you're going to get occasionally the need to address and resolve serious problems, whether it's clinical depression, whether it's getting that person a referral for medication, whether it's a social phobia, whether it's a a specific phobia or a general anxiety. There's lots of problems that can affect human beings. And so that's what's so fun about being a psychologist, being a sports psychologist. You get to kind of delve into that complexity. I like complexity. I love to see a big puzzle and try to help that person solve that puzzle. So that's kind of the work I do. And I think it's mostly mental performance enhancement, but it's also at times it has an element to it of, whether it's just stress, just general stress. Maybe the person doesn't 
cope well with demands or with time management issues or whatever. But that's why it's so important to treat each person differently. Everybody's unique. So it's a really fun endeavor to try to help these people. And I, I can see what that's fascinating uh, because I, I know that's the one thing that I wish I had continued on and had more training with. I think usually as a coach, when you sit there and talk after a match, uh, the player usually will talk about the technical part of the game, especially when after a loss, or they did this wasn't working or that wasn't working and everything. And I remember uh, one young lady I wished I had uh, uh, continued with, and the next day after the match, when we met to discuss the match, the first thing out of her mouth is, uh, uh, you and I both know why we I lost coach. Uh, she was moonballing me. But the only time she gets close to me is when uh, she does that moonlight and uh, throwing those balls up lob. And I was determined that this time I was just going to go in and attack the ball and uh, and show her. Yeah. And, you know, so she figured out right away that mentally there was a problem. And she said, why do I get stubborn like that? And truthfully, yeah. I felt inadequate. Uh, you know, I'm saying, well, at least well, you know, and the next time that's not going to happen, right? Well, yeah, you coaches out there are technicians and, and great technicians, and I'm not even going to try to be the person that tells that person when to moonball or when not to moonball. Um, you know, I used to be a coach, but give me a break. I haven't done that for years. I haven't been out there on the court, you know, teaching tennis, coaching tennis in a long time, although I've officially filled in for some players at major tournaments like the Australian Open, Wimbledon, that kind of thing. But, but you guys have your expertise, and that's why the coach is, you know, the most important part of this, really. I mean, uh, the technical part's huge, and there's also the relationship part. And there's, there's a lot of things. They can handle some of the mental part. But, um, but what we can do as psychologists is we can help develop patterns of learning that improve. So let's say that we, the coach comes to me or the player comes to me and says that, they don't know why they don't moonball in important situations or vice versa, or, you know, we can actually set up imagery scripts after deep relaxation to help them change that behavior using learning principles, using, you know, behavioral engineering to actually, you know, borrow from what was done back in the early 1900s with Pavlov's dog experiment, which is, which led to what we call classical conditioning. There's so much fun. We can have changing behavior, changing habit patterns that, coaches bring to me you, you you bring to me something that's important and we can together build a better mousetrap to help that player do that more permanently well, yeah i just wonder why we haven't i guess i'm a greedy person i just wonder why we haven't uh uh expanded uh more to it i appreciate what you've done uh you know with the industry but uh uh, that, with my age, I just I, I want to well, more. There, John, there's only so many hours in a day, so many years in a lifetime. I mean, I spent, and I'm not bragging. I'm just saying that the process of becoming a a licensed psychologist is is insane. It, I mean, you're talking about six, seven, or eight years of your life, you know. And uh, do it if you want, but basically take your 20s and turn it into your mid 30s, or take your 30s and turn it to age 50. I mean, if you really want to get into this field, 
it's not easy to do. So, and, and, you know, there's not enough time in a lifetime to, to become everything. I, you know, I'd like to be a medical doctor too, but I can't do that. Give me a break. I can't, I can do what I've been trained to do. So that, so there's a limit to what we can do in life. I think you're doing great. <clears throat> well, let me ask you a question. I, I am, I'm still stunned by, you know, I was stunned when uh, we have a, a Boston Patriot player that wins the Super Bowl, uh, gets award, and then he's brought up on murder charges. Yeah. I'm even more stunned oh. that now uh, it looks like uh, he's committed suicide. How much of the past, you know, uh, is there did we when I say we did the Boston Patriots uh, miss something or help or was it too late that his what he grew up in and the youth were too late to change that? Wow, what a great question! I mean, look at O.J. Simpson. Look at you know, um, it, it's very alluring to bring in a player that has a history. I mean, the Florida Gators might have blown it having him there. They he helped them win what is it, one or two championships yeah. in the late two thousands. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I went to Florida. I was excited about all that. And so I think we get intoxicated by this success. And, you know, he was a forty million dollar man. I, you know, you you wonder why people do what they do. I think that's what's so fascinating about the mind. Why would anybody do that? Uh, you know, we we ask those questions. Why would anybody throw their life away for a silly emotional attempt to get back at a friend or whatever it was that he did to kill that guy. It, it just, it just baffles us. And I think what you said about his background, that, that often is the clue. Maybe this guy was abused by his father severely to the point where he snaps at certain points. He snaps, he goes into a psychotic state, a brief psychotic state. And, you know, maybe that's what we see with a lot of these a lot of these crimes out there is that people just lose control. They become irrational. And it, it goes back to early mentoring, early childhood, early, early parenting. And so that's why it's so important. I think the role that you play as a coach to helping these young people to have someone that's a, seen as a stable force that can help guide them. It's much more important than hitting a yellow tennis ball down the line. So, so yeah, I mean, it's really, it, it baffles everybody, but I think someday, someday we're going to be able to figure out whether it's through advanced technology or advanced diagnostics, who is going to be more of a risk to actually do horrible things like, like what happened with Aaron Hernandez. And I don't think we're anywhere close to that yet, but we will someday be there. At what age? I think sometimes, you know, in high school or college, well, in any team sport, really, there's a difference between going out on a tennis court, though, and playing individual. And this is why some people don't play high school or college uh, tennis. Uh, there's arguments if they're pushed too soon going pro or not. But part of, in my belief, a part of being on the team is. Your responsibility is to be a good teammate. And the player-parent meetings, those three months that before I technically could officially get into handing them a tennis racket, was part of my pushing was that as teammates, we're responsible for each other. And you're responsible when you see your teammate doing something wrong. Is that too young at a high school age? 
to sit there and you know one is a re, one is a teammate responsible at the University of Florida. I think that those players that knew something should be questioning themselves today if they did know something. But I know, John. It's, it's never too, too never too early. Yeah. No, it's never early. too early. No, I think that should start in grade school. Um, although there's a high degree of punishment for being the narc or for being the person that goes to the guidance counselor or the principal. So I think we're, we're socialized to just turn the, turn our eyes the other way. And I, I think that's a mistake. I think, I think we do have, you know, we're all socially responsible for each other. So I mean, what would cause that horrific behavior is often quite baffling, but definitely if you see something, you know, if somebody here is listening to this show and they see something on their team right now, their high school tennis team or college team or some other sport, and, you know, go to the coach, go to the authorities if you suspect someone's going to hurt somebody. I mean, don't don't just you know, sweep it under the rug. I think social responsibility is huge. I think you're doing the right thing by getting people to think more as a team, more as a a unit, you know, more as a society rather than be isolated warriors trying to only achieve success. I think you can have success, but you need to get rid of bad elements. That's going to even have more success. I mean, you don't need those kind of problems. And even before it gets serious enough and uh, to uh, go to an authority or to go to coach, I would say, you know, you, you go to your teammate. Uh, you know, yes, if you yes. something real serious, you can't do that. But go to your teammate, and uh, you know, I think back, and we always one of the my pet things in trying to evaluate was we had to say, you know, what did you learn about somebody? And uh, I could look if I look at that third month, and uh, we got into that question, and and a parent or a uh, a player came up and they said, well, I, I learned Coach Denise likes coffee ice cream, uh, rightly <laughs> or wrongly. My assumption was you really aren't paying attention to your teammates or anything. That's a cop-out because somebody has said that for three months. You know, the first month, okay, I could buy that. But the third month into our conversations, uh that's a hard thing to, uh, for me, it was a hard thing to buy. Uh, and sometimes, truthfully, uh, my uh, wife, who was Bobby, uh, one of the uh, coaches after she retired from uh, Dane Winter and Morgan Stanley, uh, and I always tried to have uh, female coaches. Were there any other female coaches? I'd sometimes say, you know, you're up, well, you expect a lot from these kids. Uh, Maybe I did. I, you know, those are the things I, I just I, I question myself about today. Maybe I should have been doing that five years ago. Well, you needed to switch to vanilla ice cream. I like vanilla. <laughs> but um, but but anyway, um, no, no. I think I think it's it's good what you were doing, and we need to do more of it. And I, you know, what you're talking about is resolving conflict or issues verbally through communication through interaction verbally or other ways as opposed to acting on your dark impulses uh, I think that is something that more civilized societies 
have a legal system, for example, to handle conflict, to deal with things in a very professional legal way as opposed to taking out a gun and acting as if you're in the Wild West or in Syria. So I think there's a, there's a need for that. I think anytime you can get people talking or thinking a little bit more, you have the possibility of having them deal with anger or severe emotional problems more effectively and just maybe stop them from acting on their ridiculous impulses so they don't hurt somebody or hurt themselves. Very important. I'd like to dive in just a little bit more, Doctor, if I could. One of the things that as a coach I find the toughest thing um, to deal with, and I I look back in uh, myself uh, raising my kids, uh, truthfully, uh, I was going to do it my way, and um, I, uh, you know, probably was a little thick on that there. But as a coach, I look, and you look at uh, a parent situation and trying to make those judgments. I remember coaching one person for a lot of years, and she was, a good, good person. I moved her up because she was too good for the age group. And eventually the person uh, took the player away from me because uh, there was a coach not too far away, and everybody that worked was she made them, she worked them until they vomit. Uh, And I said to the parent, you know, that's not me, and that's not what I'm going to do. But should I have just been satisfied, and not not satisfied, but content that, okay, I lost a client, or did I have other responsibilities? In the sense that you were wanting that person to stay with you, you felt some responsibility for continuing that relationship, and yet she went some, to some other coach that you believe, and, didn't believe had the right values. Right, and it was when that uh, getting somebody to vomit, you know, <laughs> I, I have a question as a parent, you know, yeah. uh, I, I believed in hard work. I had uh, stressed that with my children all the time, but I never expected them to go out and vomit when they were at practice or anything. Yeah, see, uh, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't know what the coaching profession has in place to prevent that kind of abuse. I mean, I've heard all kinds of fun horror stories, if you want to call them fun. But, you know, we're, you know, coaches putting people in dark rooms and yelling at them at the top of their lungs. I've seen some of that in my work, actually, with teams. Um, it, it's a tough issue. I mean, you have to um, act according to your own conscience. What's important, if you thought it's important to, to keep her from that abusive type of relationship, then maybe you should have gone to the parents or maybe you, know, you should have made a stronger stance. But um, I don't know if the coaching profession has ethical principles like that that require some kind of whistleblowing. I know in psychology we have that. If we if we suspect somebody's suicidal or homicidal, we have to take action. If we don't take action, we can be in trouble legally. So there's ways uh, there's ways to enforce that at the professional level. I don't know if the coaching level has put those standards in place yet. It would probably make sense to do that. If you see some coach abusing a player, you have to report that or you get, you know, you're going to get your coaching credentials removed or something. I don't know what's, what there is. You could probably talk on that more than I could. 
Well, I, I think one of the problems, I think of Mary Pierce, uh, her uh, father just died and the horror stories that were told there. Uh, but Absolutely. yeah, I was at a meeting with, um, when Mary Pierce uh, received uh, an award uh, through the, at the USTA Florida section, and she just talked so lovingly about her parents, <coughs> father. Uh, so, yeah. you know, is she right? Is uh, the coach wrong? Is, uh, well, you know, yeah. this, one of my clients would actually seek out Jim Pierce to try to get um, some tough training to get himself you know, fired up for a couple more weeks on the tour. Uh, there, there is a place for that. There's a place for extreme, tough, tough, tough coaching. At the same time, I think this same player that I'm referring to that I'll keep confidential would say that this was a bad guy. You know, this was this guy was over the top. So I think I think you know it pushes the envelope. It, it, it's that gray area. It, it, as long as the player is an adult and is aware of what's going on and 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 you know seeks that out at some level, it's not so bad. But if but you get into that really tough time when when you're talking about junior athletes and minors and you know when when do you cross the line of abuse versus just tough, solid coaching. And, uh, you know, it does take a lot to become a great athlete in any sport. You know, you know, enough, uh, you know toughness is not what we're talking about. But I think we're talking about abuse. And so, again, getting back to earlier comments about coaching and psychology, I think we need to have some standards in place that clearly delineate what it means to be abusive versus difficult or tough or, or demanding. And there needs to be some, some mechanisms in place to, to monitor that. I just don't know what's out there. But he was well, he was a beast, Jim Pierce. He was something else. Yeah. Well, I guess and I, I hope you. Uh, I know you're not offended when I put you in that group of architects with uh, Jim Lehrer and Dr. Jack Ropel and the other people that I've listed in the coming article in Florida Tennis Magazine. I'm honored. I, I haven't seen the article. I'm honored. I'm honored. No, Thank it's you. not out yet. I just submitted it. It won't be out to uh, the uh, it's the next issue, the uh, what, June-July issue. Yeah, well, look, you know, Jim, yeah, out. the April-May yeah, is just out, so now. I, but I the appreciate point I was making yeah. is some yeah. of the people asked about the certification. How did I come up with that program? And you know, to, to me, the important thing is we needed a, a team tennis team coaching certification in high school. And I was looking at who are the architects that I believe that I read the books that I read and the studies and the courses and the that I took. And how I came up with that, you know, that program. Uh, is, is it the best uh, program? Uh, no. I look at it now and I see that there's, you know, changes I like to do. Are there other books coming out that should be included in the must-reading besides yours and others? Sure there is. But yeah. at some point, after a couple of years, well, let's, you know, can we get input? No, no input comes. Finally, somebody has to get up and say, okay, this is the program. Let's run with it. But my point mm -hmm. is, if you don't like the program, you know, make it better. You know, you think right. that we should add, you know, is there going to be people offended that I didn't include them in? And, and looking back, are there some people I should have included? Yeah. Well, let's 
better. Let's make the program better. Yeah, you can't go around looking over your shoulder all the time in life about who's who you who you possibly whose fingers are you stepping on. I mean, there's a lot of things I've been left out on over over the course of my life, and I'm just I'm thrilled that you've you know thought about the work that I do and you know have included me in your little vast empire there in Florida, you know, with the, with the high school coaches, I think it's, it's terrific what you're doing. So, so don't worry. I mean, when you're doing something good, the more you do good, the more you're going to get criticized the way I see it. Well, I can't believe we've, uh, we've just about shot a whole program again, but before I mention some of the things that I have to mention, uh, the next two, three minutes are yours. What did, what would you like to say? Wow, I don't know if I <clears> – <throat> that's hard to do. When you ask somebody to speak for two or three minutes extemporaneously <laughs> like that, it's hard to – that's really – you can't do that. It's like telling someone, hey, tell me a funny joke. I can't do that. I can never respond to that. I can tell a joke if I'm not not, not put on cue. But in any event, um, what I would just like to leave is this idea of constantly learning and having fun if you're a coach out there. And maybe just maybe the mental side can provide you some of that to make your life a lot more interesting, to look at that person as more than just a player, to get into their psychological state, to read books on this, to find the ways that you can motivate them better, understand them better, be able to sniff out possible serious problems when they might occur. Don't be afraid to pick up the phone and call me and get me to come to your club and let's do a workshop together, for goodness sakes. Let's talk to your players about how they can become more successful using their mind, using their mental skills, you know, and that'll, that'll care. That'll be the honor will be yours. So that's all I want to say is that there's a lot of stuff that we haven't tapped into the, the, the last great frontier. I believe we've explored the earth. We're exploring the universe, but I think there's an even more vast, uh, expanse in the human brain. And that's what's so exciting about what I do. And I hope I can continue to have this love of this work because it really is important to try to help inspire other people to have that creativity and that love of learning. So whatever you're doing out there, keep loving it, keep doing it. And, and thank you, because I think that's so important is that the, the brain is the last, it's the last frontier. Uh, and hopefully I'll, before my time passes, I get to learn a lot more about it. Uh, and, of course, uh, in uh, September uh, 28th through 30th, I hope you're available that time because we'll be doing our training again for the Florida uh, high school tennis coaches. I, I think uh, I, I am blessed to the people I know because of the agenda, while well, I haven't put it together, the people that said they are going to, uh, uh, will be there are some of the who's who. And I uh, hope that your schedule permits you uh, to be there because uh, you're, the, uh, you're the young architect of the, of the well, tennis coach. The only thing we got to watch out for is that hurricane that's scheduled that week, John. The hurricane wow, is going to come through that week. <laughs> yeah, I know. If that's I can a, make, if I can make it, I will. Yeah, go ahead. Very good, very good. Well, I appreciate you spending the time. I look forward to our next conversation, uh, and uh, hopefully, we won't have to change the topic at the last uh, moment. But uh, 
uh, truthfully, I think you're at your best <laughs> spontaneously answering questions anyway. I just wish I was sharp enough to, uh, to uh, do that. That'd be great. I don't have all the answers, but you and I are doing hopefully some good trying to at least raise the issue. That's all. Uh, We don't have all the answers, but we try. Right. And that's the important thing is that we're trying. I would like to remind everybody that uh, Jason Haynes, uh, the uh, founder of this uh, network, that his son, uh, Seath, is uh, still in recovery, uh, being hit by the car and – I would uh, pray that you keep him in your uh, prayers. The family uh, needs uh, the prayers. We all need help at some time, and uh, uh, Jason Haynes uh, does right now. And Seth, uh, uh, at 14 years old, uh, you know, should have his whole life in front of him. And what we're doing with medicine, um, I'm sure we will. I would like to remind you that if uh, Somebody has taken the last issue of Florida Tennis Magazine from the pro shop, and you're not subscribing to it. Uh, you don't have to get upset with the pros. Uh, you can sit there and just go to our uh, website, www.fhstca.org. And when you go to the home page, you'll see uh, Dr. John Murray come up. If you click that, you'll go to his website. You'll see Chuck Reese coming up. You'll see Dr. Alan Fox coming up. You'll see Coach uh, uh, Scott Williams coming up. And you'll see Florida Tennis. If you click on Florida Tennis, uh, you can read the last issue there at any time. So, uh, uh, we try to make that available to you. And, of course, if you go to the resource page on the press releases, you can see all my articles uh, there. So uh, uh, we thank Florida Tennis for uh, 25 years of bringing the tennis needs uh, to the community. And uh, it's not just Florida Tennis. It's uh, it's a, a, a much more than that. Uh, I had planned to be in uh, uh, the WTA uh, event in um, South Carolina just uh, past uh, a couple of weeks ago, but unfortunately, my uh, wife, the day I was leaving, uh, wound up getting shingles. Uh, but uh, I do include them in part of an article, but uh, the magazine covers a lot of issues, and I think it's important. I want to thank um, Wilson uh, Sports. Uh, Wilson has been a supporter of high school tennis throughout the country. Uh, they understand the importance of uh, high school and college tennis, sometimes I think more so than some of the other organizations, the USTA. Uh, I think is a Johnny-come-lately uh uh, to realizing that the future of tennis is in high school uh, now. Uh, but a um, hundred years in the sports, I've been blessed to see over 75 years of what they're doing. I wish I could be around for the next hundred years to see uh, what they're playing, but I know it's going to be special. Uh, the All-Star event, I was sad to learn that the All-Star event is not going to uh, happen in a few weeks, 
Uh, I think we should get together. We have to make that happen. It's too important. We have to send our high school kids on to uh, college with fond memories, and that event is too important. And, of course, the, the kids always look good. The coaches look good because Team Connection Tennis uh, was uh, always uh, colder for our organization, and they always reminded us that tennis fuels life. So I like to thank them. Uh, I need to thank District 15 NJTL uh, uh, because uh, they're now in their 20th year of providing tennis program. Uh, it was during the uh, writing of uh, when they asked me to uh, uh, write the uh, side notebook for the uh, District 15 high school tennis players uh, in Florida. Uh, that I realized uh, that I was standing on the uh, upon the shoulders of a lot of great people and uh, what they've uh, accomplished and uh, how much I appreciated them. And uh, I also I think we need to thank Flagler Insurance. Uh, they've been a big part of our uh, of the FHSTCA and they. Um, uh, understand uh, that uh, our future leaders are now in high school. So it's um, they're, they're a very important uh, organization. And if you're looking for uh, your in, um, insurance needs, you can find them on the uh, website too. I, uh, next week we have uh, Coach Scott Williams. It will be the fourth uh, Thursday of the month, and that fourth Thursday of the month means Coach Scott Williams is uh, with us. And uh, I ask you to go out and uh, tell your friends about the broadcast, uh, remind them of uh, what we're doing, and hopefully you'll be with us again next week. So, uh, tell your friends to uh, Scott Williams is on next year. Uh, if you're involved in uh, tennis and you're struggling at any aspect of it that your tennis coach uh, cannot address, but in the mental game, call Dr. John Murray. Uh, I mean, he's just uh, so uh, such a valuable tool uh, to have available there and. Uh, I thank you for listening. I hope you have a blessed week. I look forward to talking with you again next week. So tell your friends and stay tuned next week, and we'll have another conversation about the blessings of tennis, and hopefully it will help you on your journey uh, through life uh, because it is a wonderful journey. Uh, we can make it a wonderful journey. Take care. Talk with you next week. Bye now.